0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Shervin Pishvar is one of the most successful venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. He has previously invested heavily into companies like Uber, Airbnb, and many others. Shervin was also the former founder and executive chairman of Hyperloop One, an ambitious plan to change the way that humans and cargo are transported. In this conversation, we discuss Elon Musk, Travis Kalanick, the various industry-defining companies that Shervin has backed, why creators control the new media paradigm, and why Shervin believes Bitcoin is a long-term systemic bet on humanity. I really enjoyed this conversation with Shervin, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into the episode, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. The first is BlockFi. BlockFi has three products right now. The first allows you to deposit crypto and earn up to 8.6% APY in an interest-bearing account. That's an unheard of interest rate in the legacy world. The second, you can deposit crypto and get a US dollar loan. And the third is you can buy and sell crypto on their new crypto exchange. I personally use the interest-bearing account there was risk. I did the research. I invested, and I'm a happy user. So go do the same and check them out at blockfi.com/pomp. Again, blockfi.com/pomp. Earn up to 8.6% APY on your crypto deposits in their interest-bearing account. The second sponsor is a new one, and one that I'm really excited about. It's called Choice. Their new self-directed IRA product. And if you're listening to this, you're likely part of the over 7 million Bitcoin owners who have retirement accounts with U.S. dollars in them, but not Bitcoin. I was in that situation, too. But now you can actually buy real Bitcoin in your retirement account. I'm talking about owning your private keys and using tax advantage dollars to do it, too. It's an absolute game changer. So go check them out at retirewithchoice.com or click on the link in the description. Again, a new self-directed IRA product that allows you to use your tax-advantaged dollars to buy Bitcoin and control your own keys. Absolute game changer. And then lastly, don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 50,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy-to-understand language while sharing opinions on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com or go click on the description, uh, link in the description. all right guys bang bang i've got Shervin here i'm super excited to have this conversation so thanks so much for doing it
1: of course uh
0: let's start with your background um you were not born in the united states and you've got a pretty cool story about how you came to the u.s and eventually got into uh the technology and and business world so we just kind of start back from
1: iran and, and how you get to the u.s absolutely um so i you know i'm a child of of revolution and war. I remember bombs falling in Tehran as a six-year-old. Um, you know, the the bomb sirens going off, anti-aircraft, anti-aircraft shooting, red streaks in the sky. Everybody would go in the basement, you know, with candles in the fear in people's eyes. Um, my dad had to escape uh, before us. Um, and so that was a pretty, you know, um, hard experience. Uh, he I found out years later, uh, we were just talking about our dads and they're just uh, they're the greatest generation that they're, they're they're so um, humble about what they've done and they don't really talk about it. but my dad worked for the Shah and he um, was head of Radio intelligence for part of the country. And so he actually made some brave decisions, put foreign language broadcasts for embassies for people to know how to get out of the country um and he saved he saved lives i found out from people later like in the last 10 years people coming and saying you know your dad helped us um back in the day you know in 79 and so on and um so he was put on the execution list by khomeini and he had to go underground and hide and so we didn't see him and then one night uh is a good story about karma which i think a lot about and. He helped, um, a a friend of his from his hometown on the Caspian Sea who was from a poor family, but a religious family, the guy came and he you know, had holes in his shoes and asked them for, for a job, for help. And my dad gave him a job, you know, with him. And then a couple years later, somebody fired the guy without telling my dad and my fa- dad found out, reinstated him said, you know, don't touch this guy. He's, he's my guy. And, um that guy ended up being head of security for the airport so it's like out of argo right like he's like, so he comes and he's like you're you know uh reaches out to my mom and is like your your husband helped me a lot and i want to help and um she checked with him that it was safe and then uh, my dad got in touch and they met at column number four at the airport. And uh, he walked them through security on the Air France flight to get out of there um, before he was going to be killed. Um, so I mean, life became very uh, real and dramatic you know. quickly. Uh, we didn't see him for two years. And then we were on board started. And then me and my mom and brother and sister got out and met him in Washington DC and started over. We came with nothing. So it's really like an American dream story. Uh, w- I mean, we're so grateful to America. Um, we're all American citizens, we love America and there, we wouldn't have any opportunity without America. And I think given, you know, uh, it's very relevant in terms of, you know, the immigrant story and welcoming immigrants to America um, who rejuvenate the American dream and help build the economy a lot of the tech companies we know about, you know, uh almost the majority are started by immigrants and they create a lot of jobs and have a huge economic impact. So, you know, that that's how we started and they just my parents really focus on education and so I just went from english for speakers of other languages, I didn't know any english and then to gifted and talented then to a magnet school where I was lucky to, you know, uh, get access to things like Next Computers. And my dad worked overnight shifts. Uh, and uh, so did my mom so they can buy me an Apple IIc. I remember that was my first computer, uh, a little green screen. That changed my life and uh, never looked back. I've always been excited about science and research and technology and innovation from since I was a kid.
0: Yeah. And there's something I think really um kind of special about immigrants that uh, are highly educated, very successful in other countries, and they come to the United States. And I think that you've said in previous interviews that you know, your father started off as a cab driver, Yeah. right? And, and, and there's this element of uh, humility that goes along with, uh, I have to start over or, or at least rebuild a life. Um, and, and I always you know, laugh and and kind of tell friends. Uh, Americans discount that, but Americans don't realize there's very few Americans who would do the opposite, right? Leave America, go somewhere else and kind of be able to start over again. They don't, kind of have some of that humility. Um, and it's an overgeneralization. There, there's plenty of people who, who could do it. But for the most part, I think that that's a discounted part of kind of the immigrant story is it takes a lot to swallow your pride and go from, you know, the, what sounds like uh, high levels of government and, and kind of success to driving a cab, right, and kind of rebuilding from scratch.
1: You know, I, every American is an immigrant at some point right in their in their bloodlines um every one of us came here um and you know if you go back thousands of years native americans came here they migrated here as well uh and so you know the american story is an immigrant story from the beginning it's a story of of uh immigrants it's a story of um bravery and courage um you know and you know wherever you look at you know, the first Americans to settle. um, Or you look at later generations of Italians and Greeks and Irish and and everyone that had to come here and wasn't welcome in some circles. There were signs saying, no, Irish need apply, right? Uh, So, um, you know, every immigrant group, Jewish and so on, uh, Arab and so on, has had to, and Persian has had to, come here and bootstrap from the beginning, no matter what generation they came here. And I think that's what really bonds the American identity. Um, everyone still has that. Everyone, whoever your family came here 200 years ago, all right, uh, or, or five years ago, uh, that, that is part of the, the ethic of, of what it means to be an American uh so i think that that's really what unites us more than divides us and that's why i think entrepreneurship and i wrote about this years ago i was in i was in romania chasing a uh, a really an amazing developer who had developed a graphics engine for the iphone back in like 2008 2009 that enabled us to do multi game multiplayer games over 3G. Apple hadn't even enabled that yet. And this young guy had figured that out. Um, so I flew to Romania, and uh, never been before, and met him closed a deal. And uh, we launched the most advanced 3D graphics engine and game on, on the iPhone. And when I was out there, I wrote about entrepreneurship. And I realized at the time, as I met this young developer, that the American story had become global that entrepreneurship had become global, that Silicon Valley wasn't a physical place anymore. It was a mentality. It was an idea and had gone viral. And I, I knew at that moment, this was like 2008, 2009. Um, I knew at that moment that the world was going to accelerate by the energy of that virality of entrepreneurship um, that American, the American story had inspired. And, you know, and one of the things I realized is that we could be left behind, right, by that momentum if we didn't keep up. And that's where, you know, entrepreneurs like Travis or Elon and, and others who are builders, as Mark Andreessen, you know, rightly talked about, it's time to build. Uh, this is a time for builders. This is a call to arms for builders. We can rearchitect, rebuild everything. Whether it's our currencies, our financial systems, our health systems, our medical systems, um, our government systems, our you know, all of the above is up for grabs. Is up for um, people with talent and ability and drive and will and passion and love to like work and and build incredible things. Today, like as we speak, you know, SpaceX is going to launch uh, the first astronauts on on their rockets and. That is a momentous, a momentous achievement. This is, this is a private company that is now building the bridge for us to become an interplanetary species, which is Elon's goal. And and that's the ultimate in terms of building, right? (laughs) He's talking about building a, a whole new world, a new planet. And it sounds crazy, but I would never bet against Elon. So you've obviously spent
0: a good amount of time with him. And I think that one of the pieces that to me is very obvious is, uh, he one is misunderstood two. um, because he is so ambitious and, and uh, believes so deeply that he and his team can drive so much innovation, uh, it's an easy target to attack, both in the media, in private, et cetera. Maybe uh, help us understand a little bit as you've actually spent time with him, like what are your takeaways and kind of how do you evaluate? uh both him as a person but also to kind of those ambitions across SpaceX, Tesla, uh and then maybe we can get into some of the hyperloop stuff after
1: that. Yeah. Well, my experience has been, you know, incredibly um meaningful. Uh we've had some experiences like traveling together uh to to here square to uh sorry to did you know he, he saw a trip that I did to to here square in the middle of the revolution. And then I went to Libya in the middle of the revolution, same trip uh, with Sean Penn. And we met with the rebels in, in uh, Benghazi as they had liberated, like two weeks before Gaddafi was killed. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. And he was like, you know, look, next trip you take like that. I want to go <laughs> with you. Uh, and I was like, well, we're thinking about going to Cuba. And there was an American who was in prison for eight years there and um we were like you know maybe we can help with that (laughs) uh and so we're basically doing hostage negotiations as as elon likes to tell it um and you know we coordinated coordinated in terms of what we were what our goals were and said you know and also the idea of like you know bringing helping to bring internet to the island And, and we knew that bringing connectivity and communication to a country can really open things up. And, um, and so that was the trip and it took six months to get the approvals and Elon's jet was the second American plane to land in Cuba in 50 years. Um, And so we landed there and we met with uh, ministers and we met with university students. We, you know, now with, you know, Castro's son, like, you know, with artists. Um, and one of the things we said was like, look, you know, you've got to release this American. There's nothing to talk about. If you don't. And uh, within a year, they, they released them. And, and then Obama opened up Cuba um, and Rolling Stones came in for a free concert, to half a million people. And it affected change. Right. And, in that trip and Elon said that was his favorite trip at the time. Um, we started talking about on the plane. We started talking about, uh, Hyperloop. And I remember, you know, everything kind of very clearly. And I remember saying, look, you know, what are you going to do with it? You know, what this was a, an idea. Um, the paper wasn't written. Um, and uh, what he said was, look, you know, he's got five boys, SpaceX, Tesla, Solar City, You know, he's super busy and he didn't have time to do it. and He wanted to open source it anyway. So I said, you know, do you mind if I try to, you know, create a company around it? And he was like, no, go ahead. And my idea was, I didn't want to just do people transport. I wanted to revolutionize the idea of logistics, cargo, um, in commerce. And the idea was, imagine if you could order something right uh, online and it begins to be manufactured in real time, uh, manufactured, distributed, and delivered all within 48 to 72 hours from anywhere in the world. Imagine that kind of real time pulse to the global economy. And, um, and he was like, "That's a really good idea, and I don't see any technical reason why you couldn't do people and cargo. so that was that was a business model, and I started to to work on it. Um, and one of the things you you know to Elon is one, he's an absolute genius. Uh, two, he is incredibly loyal. I mean, uh, he's a family person. He loves his family. Uh, he loves his friend, you know, close friends and he's incredibly loyal, uh, to those people and to his teams that are building these, these incredible, incredible companies with them. Um, and I saw multiple examples of that. I and mean, it, it was just, you know, in every experience, there's a reason why people build great things with leaders and visionaries like that. They are inspired. They're inspired to do something more uh, with their lives and to contribute something to the advancement of our world. Um, And, uh, you know, there's nothing better than waking up in the morning and realizing all these years of work that you're sending two human beings into space on a private rocket. Like, come on. (laughs) How cool
0: is that? Look, if you see the, um, the, the kind of hype video, if you will, that NASA and uh, SpaceX released today, I mean, you watch this thing and you're like, again, I, you know, I tweeted a couple times that I don't know how you bet against these people, right? You know, whether it's Elon, whether it's the SpaceX team, whether it's NASA, just the fact that they have worked and, and the part I actually wrote about this morning was this isn't something that they started working on two years ago right? I mean, we're talking t- almost 20 years he's yeah. been working on this problem. And it started from a first principle standpoint. I got to fix this rocket technology, get the cost down. I have to kind of get cargo and then I can get people. And And this is a multi-decade type body of work that we're just now starting to see, um, I think, where people say, hey, wait, they actually may pull this off, right? But it's 20 years in the making.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, all, everyone is praying uh, for the safe journey of the astronauts, uh, that's incredibly important, obviously to their, to, to, to their families and, and to the movement of, uh, humanity expanding beyond, you know, our planet. Um, and you know, I, I was telling that story of having a conversation with Elon in 2012 about humans going astronauts going on in his rockets. And we were going to the opening ceremony of the, of the Olympics in 2012. And we got stuck in traffic. We were going to be late and we saw some bikes for REM. So we jumped out of the car and uh, rented the bikes and biked and made it. But then my uh, my leg cramped as we were walking, <laughs> running. Um, and he like put his arms around, you know, supported me to walk to a bench and then ran and got water because I was dehydrated, obviously. And we sat down and we talked and I asked him about, you know, when do you think humans will go on your rocket? And he was so thoughtful. His number one concern was the safety of the astronauts. Um, that's all he was concerned about. He was projecting like 2023, I think. And he beat that. But, um, but that was his paramount concern, nothing else. He wasn't trying to rush to get there and risk, you know, anyone's life. Um, And there's always some risk no matter what you do, but it's also an important reminder that look, we put humans on the moon in the sixties. Right. I mean, wow. I mean, you know, and, and Kennedy got up there and said, you know, wanting to put a man on the moon, uh, within the decade. And they did it and they did it with computers with the power of a calculator today. Um, and it's an incredible achievement, but we should also understand that it wasn't just, um, just an engineering achievement. It was a financial achievement and decision. Uh, I think the numbers I saw once, I wrote about this once about the, the actual in kind of 1960s dollars that they committed to, uh, fund putting a man on the moon within the decade was something like 250 billion dollars right and it was something like four or five percent of the gdp at the time and that's an incredible achieve you know uh, a commitment and achievement and so it's like we've already done this (laughs) we we have these skills a private company hasn't done it our government and our people did it but companies have the have that, that skill as well, and it's another area where, where I talk about companies becoming, you know, almost like sovereigns, right? Uh, I call them mini sovereigns, and you know, Tim Cook of Apple, has the power, you know, and Apple has the power and financial power of a, of a nation state. Amazon and Bezos, same thing. Google, right? Um, and imagine in the SpaceX example if Elon pulls it off and he colonizes Mars in the next 20-30 years and begins to seed humanity there which is absolutely his goal again it sounds crazy but that is his goal and every crazy idea he's had guess what he did it (laughs) from PayPal to you know uh, to SpaceX to Tesla to SolarCity and so on so like you said, I wouldn't bet against that. Yeah. Another founder that you spent a bunch
0: of time with uh, who I think has very similar qualities is uh, is obviously Travis and, right. uh, and Uber. Uh, maybe tell the story of uh, when did you first meet Travis and, and kind of when did you become aware of uh, Uber as a company and start looking at it?
1: Yeah, I got um, I became aware of Uber super early um, when it had launched and I was a fan. And I was trying to get in touch with her. I didn't know him at the time. So this was probably like 2010 ish. Um, and it coincided with me becoming a venture capitalist for the first time. So that, that opportunity came to me and, in, in um, like I started June, June, uh, two, 2011 and I chased uber and a number of other companies that i thought were going to be I mean, massive companies like Airbnb and others um and travis was notoriously hard to get in touch with uh he wasn't going to answer some vc's email right um, so i had to and he said this in the, you know he said this before uh, he was like i had to i had to respond to sherman because I basically had everyone in his network, <laughs> who I knew and knew well, vouch for me. So they started saying to him, like, "Hey, you should talk to Sherman." And I'm talking about swarming, not, not 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 like one person or two person. Like, and you know, it was everyone from like Julius Janachowski, who was uh, later the head of the FCC, um, you know, to Drew Drew Houston from Dropbox to list goes on and um so he did you know he finally responded um and i had told uh another friend of mine who was uh an investor in, in in uber that you know and on the board i was like look if if they ever raise money let me know or decide to take you know raise money and so he did me a favor the day of that board meeting he called me and he said hey you know we're gonna raise raise a new round and this is when uber was i think this was probably august september of 2011 uber is probably doing about 1.8 million dollars in net revenue had about six or seven thousand cars uh drivers on it um most of that was san francisco and uh, like new york was like 1200 cars like it was tiny um so i started chasing it and I was in the race, I was hustling, I was doing everything I can to win. And uh, I got beat by another firm that I respect a lot, but I, Travis didn't, he called me and he was like, hey homie, and that's exactly what he did. <laughs> he was like, he was like uh, I really like you, I wanted I wanted to go with you, but I have to go to this other firm. And I took it real cool, I was, I was like, I totally understand, because as an entrepreneur, I get it. Uh, sometimes you have to make that call. And so I said to him, you know, congratulations. I'm happy for you. Uh, I totally understand if anything goes wrong in the diligence or anything else, I want you to know that I'm like 110,000% behind you. So you negotiate with strength because you've got a backup. And he was like, I appreciate that. And, uh, that was it. And then I was giving a keynote in like Tunisia for, (laughs) uh president obama's whole entrepreneurship thing in the middle east and i got a call on my cell phone and it was travis and luckily the signal was there i had picked up and he was like hey you know you remember what you told me i was like yeah He was like is that still on it was like absolutely he was like can you meet me in dublin there was this founders conference so i got on the next plane landed hit the streets of dublin had a pint with him in a irish pub and um as we were walking kind of the cobblestone streets at night he he told me his full vision that time and it was i'm not a taxi company i i you know i want to replace car ownership right and suddenly the tam or the total addressable market became you know trillions it wasn't you know and that's the mistake my competition made is they were Comparing Uber to a black car company or a taxi company, and those comps are totally different than a technology platform marketplace that could also expand into many other areas like transportation, food, and so on. Um, and so that night, um, we agreed on a valuation of 290 million, and people thought we were crazy. You know, uh, me and my firm were crazy for giving that valuation, but I went to his, you know, I printed it out at the business center in the hotel went to knocked on his door. And I have a picture of us signing the term sheet at the door. Um, And we ended up putting, you know, 26 and a half million at two ninety, So about 8% of the company. Um, And it turned out to be a great investment. And Travis and I became very close. I would say, one super intelligence, right? Like Travis, you know, Elon are in that category, like top 10 that I've met, um, grit, like real grit, uh, incredible willpower, um, just constantly thinking and working. Um, and it, uh, it, they're both incredible recruiters absolutely i mean some of the best recruiters i've ever seen travis spends a lot of time recruiting and uh, you look at what he did with with uber and then you look at what he's doing with his current company in the cloud kitchen space and um he's recruiting like crazy he's you know and he's building a great company again and he's right again right he's absolutely right about the trend and um and he's building a really, really important uh, part of that vision and um, you know and that takes that kind of incredible drive um, and commitment and, and so when you get that phone call, you go to Dublin uh, how
0: much negotiating is there versus Travis, tell me what you want, and we're in because we believe in you specifically, and you know we have this kind of deep seated um, belief that you're going to build a successful company and the terms today don't matter as much. Like, is it something where you guys are literally sitting down and it's every single term is getting negotiated or is it more of, you know, what I call like the Warren Buffett deal where he says, Hey, look, basically I know if I'm going to do, you know, multi-billion dollar deal in the first five minutes on the phone. Right. And and yeah, I got to figure out the details, but, but I pretty much know quickly, like how how did that actually go down?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the, the other firm that initially tried to reprice the deal which if you know travis you just don't do that and you know um i didn't know travis that well but my instinct already was don't mess with that like you know if you give your word keep it and i'm i'm person of my word like if i give my word i follow through and that's why also a key part of why we became so close because we knew Like when you're dealing with someone where there's no artifice, right? Elon is exactly the same way. There is no tricks. They don't need to. Tricks are for people who are, have a reason to do the trick, right? To get some advantage. But if you work incredibly hard and you're super intelligent, uh, you don't need to rely on tricks. You just build right and so we bonded because we knew when we were speaking to each other there was zero artifice in what we said we meant it and if we were wrong about what we believed at the time we were open to being convinced that we were wrong and and then move on and i saw that in him like he might disagree with you violently you know uh or i might disagree violently but then you know, after hashing through all the logic, one of us would come out the other side agreeing with with the other if we weren't agreeing in the first place. Um so I think that's that you know that's part of it. So I think mean, we got lucky too that we were in that situation where there was that repricing. So I remember offering 290 over text, because I went to like work on a term sheet, talk to my team, and and uh And then, you know, I think the iPhone had just come out with a little bubble thing, you know, (laughs) but so I was like, I sent it and then I was waiting for him to respond. No bubble. Right. And you know, like, oh crap. Like, I'm like, is he negotiating against me with somebody else, you know, or with the same firm using my offer to like, you know, get a better deal. And but you know that whole thing about keeping your word, you, you know, luckily, he came back, and uh, before he came back, I remember increasing the offer. I was like, two ninety five because you know, I got nervous, and uh, he was like, no, i mean that's that's cool. We'll stick to two ninety nine and I think uh, two ninety and you know, it was the first time I think uh Travis has ever agreed to a lower price <laughs> On his own, Uh, you know, so that was, so we went with 290. Yeah. And and so what's really interesting is Travis, Elon,
0: there's many other examples uh, in history is these folks are all able to go across industries, right? Obviously, Elon, there's similarities between space launching, electric vehicles, solar city, whatever. But the most common aspect of those three companies is Elon right? When you look at Travis with Uber cloud kitchens, Travis. And so how much of these investments and the building of the companies is dependent just on who's driving the company versus picking the right markets or, you know, actually building the right products? Like you've invested in so many companies at this point, you know, there's the argument that some people are founder investors, some are market and some are product. Like where do you come out on that framework and and what do you actually look for
1: uh, when you're making these investments? Yeah, I was telling the story of my daughter, when she was eleven, I took her to her favorite sushi place, and she was like that how do you how do you invest? you know what do you what do you do and um and i I looked at her and I said, You know, I call it the love principle. like you have to love the founder, the team, the product, the market, right? and if you don't love any one of those things, probably not a good investment and she looks up at me and she's like Well, I love great America and it was true. She would go there every weekend. We'd always go for Hollywood, Halloween haunts. And, and, um, and I was like, okay, so you love great America. Like, here's what you have to do. You have to go there and interview and do what's called diligence, interview the employees, get, you know, get, get insights. And, uh, she did that. She came back. She was like, dad, all the employees like love the company. They love the CEO. The company's called Cedar fair. The 49ers are doing a billion dollar stadium there. And I was like, there you go. So Cedar fair is a public company and that's your first investment. So she made a hundred percent return and she's starting her own company now At 19, you know, when she was 18, she started it. Um, and you know, she learned a really important lesson she's using the profits from that investment that she did when she was 11 to start this company. But I tell that story because that is exactly how I invest like those are the four quadrants. And if I have any kind of, you know, qualitative or quantitative reason not to believe in one of those things, I'm not going to do the investment. And for whatever reason, that's been working. I'm I'm up about 73X uh, since 2011, which is amazing. Like I never, I, first of all, I never thought I was going to be a venture capitalist investor. You know, I'm immigrant kid, poor kid, like yeah, I just didn't. I I just never. I didn't think that was possible, and I was surprised when that I started getting those, you know, offers and and um, and opportunities. And so that that formula is something, you know, that is qualitative and quantitative. And some people are really good at the quantitative, and some people are really good at the qualitative. If you're good at both, I think you can go in the pantheon of great investors, um, in terms of track record. And also in terms of just reputation amongst founders, I think what you said about Elon and Travis is absolutely right. Like we look for great founders, right. That are building, um, industries. Like one of the things I say is like build industries, don't just build companies and, you know. That is a an interesting juxtaposition in terms of some of the fissures you're seeing in the venture capital world versus, you know, founders. Founders are in, in, in amazing founders have a lot of opportunity to um, get funding and also um, can be picky and choosy. And when you're not picky and choosy, you end up with bad investors on your board on your cap and it is a nightmare uh, we've lived through things like that um and it it can be an absolute nightmare and so you know if you look at like elon's story like there were venture capitalists that when he needed the money in december in that 60 minutes interview where he you know had tears talking about that 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 moment where he thought that his companies were gonna die, right? That he had worked so hard and he put every dollar that he had into those companies to save them. And he was living at his friend's homes and didn't have a house and and was basically homeless working on these companies having put every dollar that he made on PayPal and and, um, and his other startup as a mapping company that he had started uh, in his early 20s. And so he took that kind of bold risk and you know i think a couple of the vcs especially one bowed out you know at the last minute and elon like had to rescue the company and um and i i don't think he ever forgot that right i don't think he and he never wanted to be in that position again where his company could get killed Uh, i think travis is has gone through similar types of journeys and you know uh, he's working on his company. I don't think there is a VC on that cap table, right? And so I think what's going to happen is great founders like Travis and others um, are going to fund other great founders. And founders are going to become more careful, right? If they have the luxury of choice, they're going to be careful about who and what firms and what angels what investors they bring in because if you bring a psychopath into your company you know if you bring us you know uh, um someone that schemes against the company for whatever reason it can kill a company it can destroy billions of dollars of value and also hold back progress for humanity uh, especially with these types of founders so it's, a, it's an interesting branch of investing uh, in entrepreneurship, which is there aren't that many of these types of founders, right? And I have a thesis that as entrepreneurship spreads and goes viral, that we're going to find the Elons of Africa, the Travises of South America, right? Like we're going to find um, the undiscovered Edison's, um, that are out there that have that talent but opportunity hasn't come to them because opportunity wasn't democratized and that's where we're at now and if you think about the next 20 years the next 40 years the you know people say disruption but that doesn't really cover what's happening the speed at which these innovations are coming are getting exponentially faster look at well, you know, blockchain and Bitcoin and, and what's happening. Um, these are, to me, systemic bets, long-term systemic bets on the future of humanity. And when you back someone like Elon, or you, um, you know, or you uh, buy and invest in Bitcoin, these are two different types of asset classes, but they're long-term systemic bets on the future of humanity. And I'm into systemic bets. Those are those are massive bets. Those are those are like Tams, you know, s- squared. Uh, you know, they they the the the, the to- what's the total addressable market of a planet, <laughs> of a new world, of a new civilization? Like what, right? Uh, and so, if you think that big, and you think intergenerationally, if you think beyond your own life. in terms of your investments, whether you're investing for your family, institution, yourself, or so on, you have to think long-term. And and it strikes me that um, once you see one or two of these work,
0: you almost become emboldened, right? So if if you had never seen um, SpaceX or Tesla or uh, Uber or any of these companies actually play out, you almost become more risk averse. But when you see them work, you then start to think that way. right? You get that feedback loop of, uh, hey, I actually want those market expanding technologies. I want those founders who can think intergenerationally. Uh, and, and so maybe talk a little bit about like, because you uh, have been so close to some of these founders who you know, will go down as the best founders of our lifetime right? is kind of where this is headed. Uh, And these companies end up being uh, industry defining companies. How has that changed the types of companies that you invest in since you've been close to those people in those companies?
1: That's a great, that's a great question. Um, As you were saying, asking the question, I was thinking about it almost as a hundred percent that, that fear is what keeps people Fear is what de-risks people's potential, right? And and so they, they in their mind, when 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 you make a little bit, right? And I remember when I remember when I made my first little bit of liquidity, and I called my dad, and I was like, you know, it was like you know, it was first time I ever had any liquidity, and it was like I don't know about four million dollars, and this is like going from like. Nothing to like, whoa, I just sold a company. I got $4 million. Wow. And I had never felt what fuck you money was until that moment. I couldn't understand it. There's no way you understand until you have it. I swear. <laughs> it, do, it is a liberation of the soul. Right? And um, because at that point, you can walk away greatest negotiators have the leverage to walk away from the negotiating table right and of the negotiating table of life if you don't have that leverage you're trapped and you're willing to compromise beyond your comfort levels right but when you have that fuck you money it becomes a liberation point i called my dad and i was like dad this is what it feels like. I didn't know what that felt like, right? And guess what? I put every dollar that I made into Uber, right? So that was like, that was the right thing to do because, you know, that's another 400X on top, right? Like, so that was the right bet, But it, but I was willing to kind of risk it all, put all the chips on one thing, and it could have gone really badly, but it didn't, right? And then... It's like, oh, do I do I risk it again, right? Do I make that bet again? And that's where someone like Elon, that took every dollar and put it all into SpaceX and Tesla and and Solar City, that he didn't have that fear, right? So the antidote the antidote to, to fear um, is exactly what you're talking about is that. If you become attuned to the possibility of, of a massive bet that you believe in and you're passionate about, that's when you're willing to forget your fear. It gives you kind of antibodies, right? Makes you immune to that fear. And if you're willing to take a big systemic you know, bet, it could turn out great. Um, and it has in those cases.
0: Yeah, you, you um, obviously have been right multiple times and uh, I've, uh, I've asked Chamath, I've asked uh, Mark Cuban and a couple of others. What were you doing uh, when you realized that you had a billion dollars? right? So uh, Mark Cuban said he knew exactly how much stock he had. He was sitting, he was just refreshing and refreshing. And then he described it as he went and did a naked dance, right? He he just, he was so excited. Um, It's a little bit different, I think, with the venture capital uh, side where everything's illiquid and and it doesn't track kind of a stock price. So -hmm. kind of what was that, um, you know, for you, like, do you remember what you were doing? And then two, mentally, you talk about kind of the unshackling right? And, and you almost, uh, it, it seems like, can enter into a different mindset of what can I actually invest in? What do I want to spend my time doing? Maybe talk a little bit about you know, going from nothing to 4 million is kind of, it seems like one level, then going from 4 million to a billion plus is a whole nother level and, and almost like another
1: level to the game, if you will. The thing I'm proudest of is that these investments have returned billions of dollars to a lot of um, LPs that are retirement funds of our grandparents and uh, nonprofits that are doing really good work in the world. Like that, like my measure of billions is not what I am acquiring, but how I'm contributing to the cycle of giving, right? And helping to fund um, these incredible institutions and, and nonprofits, uh, pension funds that are the livelihood of humanity um, that, um, you know, put bread on the table of people's, uh, you know, in people's homes. And so that that to me is the most important part. And one of the things I've noticed is none of the great founders ever really gave a shit about money. Like once you kind of like Like that, four million. That was the taste. It didn't make a difference. It was four million or a billion or five hundred million or three hundred million or whatever. It happens once. It doesn't matter wherever it was. The four. It's that moment, the mental switch, the unshackling, right, of your mind, and the opening up to the possibility that you can do not just a ten x, but a hundred x right? And in some cases, thousands of X, uh, in terms of impact. And one of my good friends, Peter Diamandis, uh, one of the things he talks about is, you know, the true billionaire is, a, is about having an impact on a billion people and a positive one, not a negative one. And we see some great founders who build products that are inherently flawed in the impact they have on humanity. Um, and, you know, I love Facebook, but I haven't been on Facebook for five or six years. Um, and, you know, and we've seen the impact it's had systemically. And I believed in the early days of like the positive impact. But I think from a policy perspective, you know, and now we're going through similar types of things with other platforms. Um, but that we have to get ahead of those things. You have to have Manage those those products so that you you continue to have positive impact at scale.
0: How do you think about that balance for a platform? So take Facebook, right? I, I worked there in uh, 2014 and 15, and uh, there was always this um, balance. I think uh, even internally of uh, connecting the world is a you know a, a great mission, right? And, and there's lots of kind of net positive aspects of that. It doesn't come without challenges though, right? And, and we've seen that everything from on the election side and kind of all of that um, stuff to other aspects like just you know terrorist content can get shared and communication between bad actors and, and all of that. And so how do you think through that balance for platforms? And do you get to a point where um, you almost have to accept that there's some negative impact, but it's a net positive. And so we should you know, kind of continue to encourage these or do you see it as, hey, we should work tirelessly to eliminate any negative impact and only focus on promoting the, the positive aspect? Like, like, How do you mentally break that down?
1: Well, I think part of it is when you're generating tens of billions of dollars of profit off a platform like that, um, you become trapped to the engine of profit, right? And it blurs the lines of right and wrong because you might make a decision that you know is wrong ethically but is right for your profits and that's not that's that's the conundrum and when you're at that kind of scale where you have a massive part of humanity on the platform the impact it can have is it can change sway elections it can you know lead to genocides and like you know and violence and all these things. And, you know, it's unfortunate because in the beginning, the reason why I went to Egypt and Libya in the middle of those revolutions is I was inspired by people like Hemingway who went to the, the Spanish civil war and actually he fought. I didn't fight. I went to observe and learn and it was still scary. Right. And, um, but back then I was like, I wrote essays about this that, that, you know, I said, you know, uh, the last bastion of, of dictatorship is the router, right? And we have to, you know, if 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 dictators can control the router, they can they can basically that they can shut off the internet, the mobile, which is exactly what happened in, in places like Libya um, and and Egypt. Um, and, but back then, the impact of Twitter and Facebook on those movements was very positive. So I was an optimist about it. And I think the reason why Chamath and me and others have, have um you know been persuaded that it's having an overwhelmingly negative impact is that something happened in between at, at the at that kind of scale where the the moral compass became blurred. Um and 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 so you know it's it's fixable it's just a matter of will and sometimes you know a company has to decide that it has to fundamentally change some things and that might mean that might mean short-term or medium-term even long-term compression of the profits um but overall it will lead to a healthier ecosystem within which to continue to scale. Yeah. And then on these platforms, we've
0: seen um, a complete uh, rise of what I'll call kind of a new generation of creators, right? And, and uh, you've tweeted quite a bit about uh, this, what I'll just call the creator class, right? Yeah. And so um, a number of tweets that you've had, uh, I just love where you're like, look, you know, Joe Rogan's a billionaire. Kylie's a billionaire. Um, And this creator class is, uh, some will call it new media, some will call it kind of influence or the influencer economy. Um, but, But it's definitely something that wasn't there in the size scope or uh mechanism that it is today even 10 years ago right and and so maybe talk a little bit about like what is um drawing your attention to that and how do you view that creator class um kind of in the world order if you will of what we're seeing happen
1: yeah great question i mean i i um so i started going down to la in like 2008 i had sgm social gaming network. so it was one of the first Gaming companies, social gaming companies, on Facebook platform and then on the iPhone. Um, and you know, on the iPhone, we're one in four iPhones had one of our games. And we merged that company with a company called MindJolt, and that's uh, Jam City now. So they're doing it for like half a billion on the i uh, in revenue on the, on the iPhone now. Um, and so I was going out to LA and I was meeting with people in that world, in the entertainment world. Um, and I remember like back then I was saying like, Hey, bring loss to the Facebook platform as a social game. And, you know, it was hard to convince people to take those kinds of bets, right? Because of that same conservative type thinking about platforms and taking that kind of risk. But it was absolutely the right call to do, right? Uh, you know, same, same pitch on the iPhone and so on. And then when I started investing, I, I, um, I started talking to friends of mine down there that I was having those discussions and I was trying to build bridges between Silicon Valley and, and LA. Um, and some people got in, some people were like, I want 20% of the company. And I was like, sorry, like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's not how it works. You've got to put some money into it. You got, you know, invest just like everybody else and help the company. Um, but, you know, you're not getting 20%. And so the, we helped change the culture down there to an investor class culture, right? To, you know, shareholder culture versus like, I'm me and I, I deserve 20%. So that was important. So, you know, conversations and meeting people like, you know, Jay Brown and Jay Z or Troy Carter or Scooter Braun, or, you know, Adam Lieber and, uh, Ari Emanuel and bringing them into Uber. Like those were the ones that were, that got it invested and made a great return on their investment with, with us into Uber. Right. And helped the company a lot and and all of that. Um, but then i think the legend of those investments is what changed the culture in la because the people who passed that i talked to who i won't name right now but they 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 were kicking themselves they were like what was i thinking why didn't i put in that 250,000 dollar check and get a 400x return or whatever and you know it ended up being so it's um that's one then between 2008 and now in 2020 the, 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 the evolution that's happened is that people now, the influencer and the, the founders and the people, have are the brand, are the company, and um, you know, companies can live and die. Um, but an influential person, whether it's a founder, or an entertainer and so on, anyone that has an audience that's loyal. And spends time with them, similar to how you you do, or Rogan does, and others do, um, you know, have a chance to build something that impacts billions of people and makes them billionaires. Right. And so the power, especially in terms of the new media paradigm, is that you know these influencer influencers who are also great entrepreneurs can build incredible value for themselves, their families, their employees, their teams, and so on, and investors, um, faster than at any other time in history. What's driving that? Is
0: that a technology inflection point? Is that a just mindset people now are thinking uh, there's a different way to monetize this or or build these companies?
1: um, Or is there something else that's driving it? It's the death of the middleman. Just like the death of the salesman, the, the middleman was a remnant of a different world. And all of the people that were in, in between these influencers and the audience, and not just people, but companies, all of the agencies and the management companies and all these other things that were in the middle taking a cut. Even the lawyers in LA get a cut of everything someone makes. It's insanity it's you know a form of slavery and so you know i'm not going to get a lot of love from lawyers in la but i mean it does make when i found out the lawyers get a percentage like you know agents and management i was like why (laughs) like pay their fees and move on um but that was the mentality and the culture which then in turn made people desperate overestimating their worth and saying i want 20% of the company when it's like "No, no 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 invest make a great amazing return and learn how to be a founder and build your own company so i think it's that collapse and compression where the influencer and their audience became one right like it's that trend that we just saw where the young lady created a cult right you know the step step chickens or whatever it's called i think that's hilarious right but it's a genius move because she realized that if she could collapse the audience and she becomes the audience and the audience becomes her and suddenly she's a platform and suddenly the audience and the fans are a platform in unison, right? United and look what they did overnight, top of the charts, you know, You know, put out an app, the ranking goes up. All the comment streams of all these influencers suddenly same profile picture. Genius. Right? What what it reminds me a lot of is the
0: old model was let's build a product or a service and then go spend a bunch of time, money, and resources to find the customers or the audience. Right? So it's kind of company first, audience and customer second. Mm -hmm. Now, though, that's inverting right? Actually, what's happening is people are building the audiences first. And then they're basically going back to the drawing board and say, okay, I've got this massive audience of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. What do I build to serve them? Is it a mobile app? Is it a, you know, a merchandise store? Is it some other product, um, you know, like a Kylie Jenner or whatever? And to me, that almost feels like uh, if you can build the audience, it's actually a great way to de-risk the company building right? Cause you know that there's an audience there. And so you're drastically increasing the probability of the product market fit,
1: um, in the future. The product market fit is the, is the person, the brand is the person. And, and, um, I mean, talk about reducing cap, right? The <laughs> the, the customer acquisition costs. If, if, if you, if you have an audience and you can do what Joe did and what, and what Daniel Eck just did together, um, you know, that's the beginning of the end of any kind of middlemen in the media world. And we already have experienced that in the tech world where the Elons and Travises can create, you know, incredible world changing companies on their own and then back others like them. All right. Uh, or, the the Kylie can create a billion dollar company and she's what 22 23 years old or Kanye can take his genius and design a shoe in Yeezy and create a 3 billion plus company um with his creativity right um and so i think you know that's that's a trend that's not it's not going away it's here and i think you know this this new wrinkle what what it kind of inspired me around thinking through is ephemeral influencers right like you know she might suddenly show up with you know a cult right um and suddenly have a million people following and being their the platform and it might go away and that's okay you know So it made me think of kind of like the Andy Warhol quote of everyone's going to have 15 minutes of fame. Right. Uh, I think it's in this case, everyone's going to have $15 million, right? It's like, like she might make $15 million. Right. And that's a life changing amount for her and her family. But because she was creative about something and she, basically created a new form factor within other platforms, a platform within a platform, and it might be ephemeral and go away, and that's okay. Yeah, and it feels
0: like um, it's becoming more and more obvious every day as uh, the more redundant, um, kind of minute uh, activities are getting automated away uh, and software's replacing a lot of that work. The creative side of this is just getting exponentially more valuable, right? And, and we're kind of seeing that just explode. Um, and so something like the Step Chickens cult, which you know, is hilarious that literally the New York Times is writing about it, but they're writing about it because it's real, right? Yeah. And has serious audience, serious
1: influence. We'll probably see a thousand more of those over the coming years. Absolutely and here's to not just that but here's to having a thousand yuan's bloom a thousand Travis's, a thousand steve jobs and and um you know i think i think that's that 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 all of it like everyone should rise and anyone that wants to be an entrepreneur has the opportunity to do that and the only there's no middleman left and all of the most expensive parts of building these components continue to drop over time. Um, And I think we've learned a lot of lessons over the last 10 years of uh, capital is not, is not a guarantor of success or scale. Just because you have a billion dollars to spend doesn't mean you have a billion dollars of scale. Those are two very different things. I won't name names, but we've seen a couple of companies raise a lot of
0: money and uh, and they don't go anywhere, right? And uh, usually they raise that money before they ever launch a product. And so that ends up, uh, can almost hurt you more, right, than, than actually just uh, building the product to begin with. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanna talk about uh, outside of tech uh, investing, what else are you investing in or what else are you excited about um, either before kind of the coronavirus pandemic or now as, as we're seeing some of the economic shocks like, how are you thinking about the rest of your portfolio or your investing activities?
1: Um, I we care a lot about that as a family because we came from nothing, and you know we have to give back. Um, and you know my children, you know I have two kids, uh, and they care a lot about giving back as well. And so does my my nephews and niece. And um, so we have them all involved. Um, I'm lucky that my Sister Sarah is uh, head of the Family Foundation, the Fish of our Family Foundation called Pi like uh, <laughs> p i and um and then the we're trying to bring the same kind of systemic thinking but also you know innovation to what we're doing. So as an example um, in this you know crisis and pandemic, early on. I kind of latched onto the idea of uh, using 3D printers and laser uh, cutters to basically um, 3D print, you know, masks, uh, face masks, and and shields, and and, um, and and so we kind of created a movement to do that called HealthOS, and we partnered with Irie Foundation and others, and. And we've now, I think the numbers like we've delivered like something like 20,000 made, and are delivering 20,000 face shields to hospitals, um, here in, in Florida, in New York, in Mexico and, and other places. And we're continuing to continue to scale that. And, um, you know, um, it, it was, it's been a really cool project and, um, uh, Sarah has been helping, uh scale that and those are the kinds of ideas we like. Um we also did something called the Cyrus Prize uh to kind of find you know uh young uh Iranian uh, uh Americans uh who are you know incredibly smart and um are working on big ideas and you know giving out a hundred thousand prize hundred thousand dollar prize to them. That's awesome. Uh before I end, I always ask uh, the same two
0: questions to everybody the first being what's the most important book you've ever read
1: Wow, that's a great question um yeah know that's like asking you to choose your children uh one over the other um, i would i remember. When I read Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad in my early teens, it blew my mind. I just was like, I just remember what an impact it had. Uh, Same with Old Man and the Sea by Hemingway. It just, those are stories that never leave you, um, stretch your minds. So from a fiction perspective, I would pick, you know, one of those. If you were to make me pick one, I'd say, um, you know, Heart of Darkness. Um, and then in terms of, um, nonfiction, I would say, you know, I read Burn Rate back in the nineties and it, and it had a huge impact on me. And, um, you know, it always made me remember that story. And, And that cycle has repeated itself so many times, uh, where people have raised a lot of capital and then forgot about their burn rate and burned too much capital and ran out. And capital is your oxygen and talent is is as well. So you have to keep those two things in, in tandem in your mind and get ahead of it because you run out of both, you're dead. Yeah, th- those are two great books.
0: Um, and then the last question, uh, we spoke a bunch about SpaceX uh but what about aliens believer -believer? non-believer how do you kind of think through whether there might be intelligent life out there
1: that's a great that's that's a funny question um you know back to some conversations with elon in the early days um i remember talking to him well before everybody was talking about simulations and i you know and we would go back and forth on it and you know one of the insights was I remember saying like given almost infinite time, everything that could have happened has already happened. So we're already living in the future. And you know, um, the, from a scientific perspective, I think, I think that's a, I mean, it's an even weirder thing to say than to say aliens are, are, uh, are real, but, um, scientifically, it, it, it could work out, and and what what I mean by that is that if you have highly advanced AI and and some kind of merger between biological life and AI, if that's the future, right, and if we're already living in that future, my insight was, you know, that what would any advanced intelligence want to answer? And it's a fundamental question. Of when I was a kid, I'd look up at the sky and be like okay, everyone says God created this this world. Well, who created God? And then I would black out like that because that was such a scary thought that there was nothing and then there was something. Um, So I was like, look, you know, an advanced intelligence would want to re, basically reverse engineer history through trillions of simulations. And we might be living in just one of those stacked up against each other and to them, it's a blink of an eye, right? And you know the advanced intelligence would want mutants would want people who experiment who bend who bend the universe because it's it's the mutants and the different thinkers like um like the Steve Jobs or the Edisons and so on who who bend the fabric of the universe. And one of the things, you know, people who have done that, in our experiences, I, I've seen this universally, when we try to bend the universe, the universe yields. Right? And so, um, and it yields in the way it's supposed to yield. If you understand that, then it, it's, a, it's a core um, generator of courage and allows you to not be afraid. It's the antidote to the fear of taking risk, Because if the universe is gonna yield, if you try, um, ultimately, and you fail, and you keep trying, and you fail, and you keep trying, and it works in the end. Like Edison's light bulbs, he made 1800 versions of it. Um, so my long answer to you is yes, but a different kind of alien.
0: I love it and look, I think ultimately it goes back to that unshackling of the mind, right and if you're able to uh to do that, it's incredibly powerful um If people want to uh, learn more about the work you're doing or the investing you're doing, where can we send them
1: uh to learn more um They can go to um dot um, or shervin.com, uh my first name or last name, and uh, there's some info there, and you know uh my email is just my name, com. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much. The next Elon or Travis or Steve Jobs, you know, let me know.
0: <laughs> don't don't say that on the internet. You're going to get a,
1: a whole bunch of trolls along with maybe one that might be real. You no, know, I mean, you know, obviously we can't answer every every, but but the swarming concept is a good one. Like you know, I emailed Travis. He didn't answer, but you know, if you have people that I know like you, that vouch for you, then the probability of, you know, something happening and engagement and learning more is, is, uh, is going to happen. For sure. And ben, well, listen- bend ben the universe. <laughs> I
0: love it. I love it. Uh, well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I think people will get a ton out of this and
1: uh, we'll do it again in the future. Really love your approach and framework of uh, thinking.